Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Daily Anime Podcast. It's me, Jefferson, and I am returning with our coverage of the Legend of the Galactic Heroes original video animation. Episode 4, The Empire's Afterglow. In this episode, we see Reinhard von Lohengram being promoted to the rank of Imperial Admiral for his exploits at the Battle of Estat. We see the other Imperial officers talk. One says that he's proven himself. Another says that he only got up higher in the ranks due to his sister's influence on the king. Which is, I mean, seems probable, especially since Reinhardt is only 20 years old. We then get introduced to a few characters. One of them is Oberstein, who introduces himself to Kierkegaard. And if you remember from the previous episodes, Kierkegaard is Reinhardt's right-hand man. Oberstein is one of my favorite characters. But I don't really want to dive too much into it, although you do see a bit of his character in here, because he comments on how he needs a mechanical eye. If he was born under a previous administration, that is a previous king in the imperial, um, yeah, a previous king, then he would have been killed, referencing an imperial eugenics program. Um, we see more on this history expounded upon later, but I mean, it's just referenced here. Kierkegaard is somewhat disturbed by Oberstein for good reasons, and then it kind of goes into his backstory between him and Reinhardt. Flashback! Woo! We see a young Kierkegaard meeting a young Reinhardt. Reinhardt uh, coming from a family of poor nobles, and they just move next door to him. Um, Kierkegaard and Reinhardt become friends. Kierkegaard falls in love with his sis- uh, Reinhardt's sister, Anne Rose, and then one day... Ani Rose gets taken away to the Kaiser's palace, and the thing is, you can't really refuse it. Angry at this, Reinhardt takes a blaster and essentially runs off to the palace with Kierkegaard to try and rescue Ani Rose. And the thing is, they're 10 years old, so it doesn't really happen. And here, this episode, we see Reinhardt's ambitions, his motivation, his goal of climbing through the military ranks so that he can obtain power. And a similar sort of critique of the power structure of imperial society that we saw in the Alliance Society. At the end of the episode, Reinhardt, when he storms a party at the palace, before he does so, he comments on how flamboyant it is. Even though the Empire has been at war with the Free Planet Alliance, who the Empire uh, Imperials call the Rebels, for over 140 years... Kierkegaard's comments on how none of these high-ranking nobles send any of their children to go fight in these wars. A sort of similar populist critique of war that we saw in episode 3. And the difference is the difference between uh, an imperial society where you have a nobleman not necessarily critiquing the top-down power structure of imperial society, but rather critiquing the sort of decadence whereby the aristocrats who have all this power live flamboyantly, whereas their subjects are dying, and they aren't conducting themselves with the proper nobility that he displays, right? So as a poor nobleman, he basically says, y'all aren't doing what you're supposed to do, right? And while I guess you can reduce it down to that, and I was like, oh, it's similar to what we see in the third episode, where we have Jessica Edwards is being like, hey, y'all ain't doing what you're supposed to do, but 
the path that these reformers, the reformers in the Free Panel Alliance and Reinhardt, the reformer in the um, in the Empire, is obviously very different. Reinhardt isn't necessarily thinking, "Hey, we should um, get rid of the king and have like a parliament, and parliament should like run everything, and we should have democracy." No, um, Reinhardt is just like, "We should have better kings." We should have good governance. We don't have good governance, especially in a society where people can be taken. So here we see like something that there is a semblance to rights. Basically, I'm not too sure what you could say, like the right of freedom or basically the right to not have your sister taken away by the king, etc., etc. Yeah, you have something similar to that. And in the Alliance, I think you see something that's a lot more complicated. Um, Because in the Alliance, Yang Wenli and Jessica Edwards, their enemies are not just like the Secretary of Defense and um, whatever rich class of businessmen or whoever supports them. Well, I guess you can I guess you could say yeah, they're they're enemies, right? Is the old guard. And you have like the similar old guard is like bad, right? However, um I think you have to take into consideration the end of episode 3 when Yang Winley is at the airport, right? And if you remember from the previous episode, that's when a grandmother is just like, please shake my grandson's hand so that he can become a great warrior like you, right? He can become a good soldier. We see a populace that has been, like, brainwashed by the war machine to go along with the war. In that sense, Reinhardt's situation, I mean, not Reinhardt's situation is actually not bleak at all. And even at the end of the episode, after he basically storms um an imperial part um an imperial party saying y'all are decadent we're at a war and like he's presenting himself as a threat to the structure of power his emphasis is just like there's power these mugs are messing up with it and i'm gonna take it yang winley on the other hand doesn't have that same sort of thing Especially at the point where everyday citizens are also invested in the war and looking to him as a sort of war hero. And in this sense, although I think people, many people have said that Legend of the Galactic Hero suffers from um, the problem of having too many strong and interesting characters on the Empire side and not a lot of interesting characters on the Alliance's side, basically the side of democracy, the side that we live in or that most mirrors our societies. I think in this instance that democratic society is actually far more complicated in terms of how power doesn't only operate from the top down and from these mugs that you can just like take out and overpower because you please the king or just because you killed them, right? Power is enacted on a sort of person-to-person basis, Um and that, I think, is far more cynical and comes out because Reinhardt is so ambitious and fun to see and interesting, right? And he's a strong, strong person. Young Winley is a slacker. 
Yang Winley's like me, right? If I was an anime character in the show, I mean, I wouldn't be Yang because I'm not as smart as him or well-read in history as him. But, like, yo. Like, that, I think, is sort of like the political nihilism <laughs> that comes about and why I think the Alliance side is still the best side and because it's the more interesting side. But, yeah. There's also a difference in terms of how they utilize space in this episode because um, in the previous episode, I want to go back because you have that memorial um, where you have the Secretary of Defense just exploiting the mass death at the um, Battle of Estat. And in this episode, when um, Yang, not Yang, sorry, when Reinhardt is basically being promoted and is given half the entire Imperial fleet to con- command, um, like the space in this episode feels a lot smaller. And it's like, yo, you have all these kings, but it doesn't feel like it's super grandiose because they're not trying to like use any sort of media machine to get a populace on board with their plan because they can expect the populace to do whatever they want because they're in power. Um, I mean, on the one hand, you have that just something a little bit more cynical. I mean, this is also the anarchist in me, etc., etc. You have that um, going on for you. So I guess in that sense, there are some interesting mirrors to be taken. But um, I would say that like the space in this episode feels far more human. Especially since, you know, we're dealing with most of the episode being in the past 10 years ago when we see a 10-year-old Reinhardt and a 10-year-old Siegfried and, or Kierkeis. He, he's like, ah, Siegfried, that's a commoner's name. Kierkeis, now that's a strong name. Like, that, that's what Reinhardt says to him. So he just calls him by his family name, which, I mean, I guess is also pretty interesting. But, um, yeah. I guess I'd also like to comment that um, this friendship between Kierkeis and Reinhardt is, like, pretty much every shipping person person's fantasy. It's, like, so pure, it's gay. So it's pretty gay. Um, so if you don't know anything about LGH fandom, there it is. It's, it's, it's just... Because it's pretty much just dudes and maybe, like, three or four women <laughs> who play important roles. It's kind of messed up. Um, but... I mean, like, yeah, it is mostly men. It's also just, like, really gay. Although I don't... You know, it doesn't really matter. I'm not gonna... I don't really care if people intended it to be gay or not. I mean, obviously, they're not like, oh, yeah, you know, he's checking him out. Reinhardt's checking out Kierke eyes. Nah, that's, that's not how that works, but, you know, you can read it however you like. Anyways, thank you for listening to another episode of the Daily Anime Podcast. It's pretty cool. I haven't gotten back a lot of feedback about this episode-to-episode series that you'd see on a blog normally, but, I mean, the few people I've talked to and who've mentioned it to me seem to like it, so I guess I'll keep up with it. Um, I don't think I want to do anything as in-depth as I did with the last episode, because that was ridiculous, and I'm trying to avoid it. I'm trying to keep my episode synopsis more brief um, to the points. I don't think I entirely succeeded in this episode but i don't think i entirely failed but i'd love to hear comments feedback hit me up daily anime pod on twitter dailyanimepodcast.com leave a comment on the blog 
send, shoot me an email, dailyanimepodcast at gmail.com. You know, there's all kinds of ways to contact me on the internet. Hope you'll stay tuned. Have a wonderful day.